standby like use 2 through 33, sound 1A through 7 on deck standby Q actors. Electrics, kill the blue run lights, please. Like you 2 and sound 1A, go. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Hang and Focus Live. I'm your host, Sean Daniels, your artistic director of Arizona Theater Company. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. I want to go ahead and bring out our associate artistic director, Chanel Bragg. Chanel, how are you this afternoon? I'm doing wonderfully. It's been a great week. Uh, We had a staff retreat that was wonderful, and I feel invigorated after we got together to talk about the future. So we're excited for this talk today. We, uh, though nobody, you know, really knows about like the internal workings of every organization. It was like a big step forward for us to finally have like a staff retreat with board members and really start putting some strategic plans together for where we want this organization to go. So big step forward. Absolutely. I also got to show you something so exciting. So Biddy, who was our marketing manager, knew how my heart was so affected by the loss of RBG that she made me this candle. <laughs> Isn't this not incredible? So I have the notorious RBG right next to my workstation every day. I'm so excited. Do you, do you light it in moments of stress or do you light it in moments of calm? Or how does it work? I think every every day. Like I do it when I'm eating like candlelit dinner. I do it then. And I also do it for stress and for calm or when I need her wisdom for gotcha. sure. Yeah, no, go for it. Um, so we also want to bring out to the show our managing director, Jerry Wright. So Jerry, go ahead and join us when you want there. Hello there. Hey, how's everybody doing? Good, good. <laughs> so uh, an excited, we've been working, right, for the last several months, as every theater has, right? We've never worked harder, but to figure out what our next steps are in terms of being able to come back. So we wanted to gather everyone to get today to make an announcement just about where we think is going next. Do you want to take it, Jerry, or you want me to go run with it? You start it and then I'll jump in. Great, great. You're the great mic drop guy. You do <laughs> it. Um, so just for everyone to know, we are doing everything in our power to return to live theater at the end of January in Tucson and to be in Phoenix in February. Now there's a lot that we have to do between now and then, and that's what we're going to talk about. We already have approval from the state of Arizona to return at 50% capacity, but that's all right because we're only going to actually return at 25% capacity to make sure that it's safe for everyone to be able to be there. We're going to be working with all the different unions, the actors union, the the, uh, set designers union, the directors union, which I'm a part of, which is the weakest union you've ever met. So I'm sure they're going to say yes right away. Uh, But we're going to work with all these unions to make sure that we're taking care of our artists to make sure that we're safe. So we will most likely be the safest venue in town, right? Like a lot of people get confused and they don't always understand like how come some theaters can come back in November and some can come back tonight. For us, we have to get a lot of sign off for everyone to be able to do it. So to do that, we are upgrading the filtration systems and the air in both theaters, in the Herberger in Phoenix and in the uh, Temple of Music and Light in Tucson. And we're doing everything we can to be able to move forward. Now, of course, there's a lot of questions and we're gonna delve into them today. 
-hmm. And I'm sure people at home have questions also. So we'll also be taking them in the chat if people want to be able to do it. But Mm -hmm. we really think, you know, um, socially distanced people in masks, we can be careful and we can figure out a way for us to be able to get back to live theater. You know, we hear from patron after patron how they want to be able to gather safely and they want to figure out how they can enjoy what it is, you know, that makes Arizona so special, which is Arizona Theater Company. Yeah. And it, it, you know, we're, there's a lot to, there's a lot that needs to happen between now and then. And we, we feel like we've given ourselves enough runway to get all those details in place, you know, and we're planning on 25% uh, capacity, you know, hopefully fingers, toes, eyeballs, everything crossed that, you know, um, it's more than that when we get there, but we will adjust. Um, there's also the chance that, you know, we may not be able to go but we are running for January 20, uh, January in Tucson and Phoenix in, um, in February. And we feel like it's the right thing to do. We feel like we're ready to do it. Um, we will be ready to do it. The safety plan you were talking about is 25 pages long. This is no joke. Um, and it is everything from making sure the actors are safe, making sure staff is safe, making sure patrons are safe, it's air handling, it's masks, it's social distancing, it's plexiglass, it's hand sanitizing. Um, the air handling in the Temple of Music and Art was, and the, and the Herberger is a big uh, monumental lift um, to upgrade those, those systems. But, um, and it's also testing and tracing and making sure that if, God forbid, if we do have a case that we are able to, you know, sanitize, get back moving and get back up and running. But, you know, the safety plan is, um, you know, for those that know me, they know I'm, you know, very careful. (laughs) And we are doing everything we can to make sure that people feel safe coming back to the theater. We, We need to get back to stage. That's who we are. That's what we do. That's that's why we exist. And um, I think that just announcing that we're coming back in January has really re-energized staff, to your point, Chanel, right? Like it's just, we're ready to go. Um, and we're ready to gear up and we're ready to we're ready to do this. And we've made several other than like the social distancing and the PPE and you know, all of the health screening and the disinfecting and all that. We have made some adjustments to the season, right? So we're um, kind of shifted shows around a little bit uh, and we are going through the summer, which is another big shift uh, because we feel like, you know, the the further we're saying show one is this first one, um, but we're going to continue through the summer because we feel like people are really starting to crave live theater. They're really missing it. And um where we feel like it will only get better, right? As time goes on, there'll be a vaccine, there'll be whatever, whatever the case may be. Um, we're hoping um, that that's the case, but we are going through the summer. The first show will be, well, Sean, this is your world. I don't need to talk about that, but. Um, yeah. yeah, I could, I could talk through those. You yeah. know, one, one other thing that I think we're going to talk about a lot going forward, right? Is that we're because, you know, everybody knows that studies not for profit theater, which is, actually nobody. But if you did study it, you would know that ticket sales normally only cover a little less than half of what it takes to be able to put on a show. So if you can imagine that 
because we want to be safe and because our audience's safety is the number one priority, if we're going to suddenly bring in 25% of what used to be just half what we bring in, we will need the community's support to be able to return to do that. Uh, that, you know, that is, re- that is really the caveat. I think, I think, um, you know, we said if local conditions allow and then the community supports us, right? Because we are right now relying on contributed income um, donations uh, just to really pay staff to really get going um, or, or to, to, to continue to actually ramp up to get in production. We have to add staff um, and that all takes money. Like, just the safety precautions alone are about $300,000 just to get going, um, just to, between the testing and all the precautions we're going to be doing. So we are really relying on those donations and, and the community, you know, rally around us because we're coming back and we're going to be better and stronger than ever, but we really need your support to do that. We absolutely do. So something that's starting today, a way that you can support us, you can actually text just the letters ATC to 56512. That's just the letters ATC to 56512. And you can text $10 as a donation to us. I mean, you you can make more if you want also, (laughs) but I just for people at home, (laughs) that's right. You know, but I think, you know, text is is a new thing for us to be able to do. And so we'll put that you know, in the chat also, but I think so often people think like, I can't give $10,000. I can't give 500. It's like, no, every little bit helps. It does. And it adds up. I I am here to tell you it, it definitely adds up. And it's really keeping those that are supporting us now are really keeping us going uh, at the moment. But, um, you know, we are not going to make money on the first show, we're actually going to lose money. I mean, let's be real, we're going to lose money on the first show. Um, and so contributed income is going to have to pick up the slack uh, and really hopefully the community supports us in doing so. So let me talk about what the shows will be and the, the change that we've made. Mm-hmm. So we are still our first show, which we call now our first show, uh, is going to still be my 80 year old boyfriend, which is the award winning show. And actually, we have a series of slides for us to be able to walk us through. So let's go ahead and use them at this point to be able to do it. So Will's going to throw up the slides for us. This is just to remind you what show you're watching. Great. Um, (laughs) So as at the very end, you can see my eight-year-old boyfriend, which is the award-winning musical for us to do. There's a lot of great reasons to start with this show. First of all, it's a show about what brings us together and similarities, not differences. I mean, it's an, and I feel like that's going to be an important message. And listen, we're going to be talking, right, coming through this post-election, what's the one thing that we can all do is that we can begin to connect with each other and try to find some common ground between everybody to be able to go forward. And that's a great one for us to be able to come back at. So here's then number two is where the big change is in our season. We originally had uh, a play, Prupane by Stephen Druckmann, that we are going to do in the next season. We just had to move it in terms of what it is, in terms of safety for the cast and just for the right time of it. And we have a new musical called Justice, which is about Sandra Day O'Connor and RBG, which actually we were in the midst of working on even before she passed. 
because yeah. we really knew that we wanted to do something about Sandra Day O'Connor. And this is being put together. The book is by Lauren Gunderson, which many people know as America's most produced playwright two of the three last three years. And um, she's a friend of the theater. She's a friend of mine. She officiated our wedding. So she's always the person we call in a pinch to be able to do it. And it's a musical. So Kate Kerrigan and Brian Loudermilk are doing the music and lyrics to be able to do it. Actually, Brian was on the very first episode of Hang and Focus back when like seven people watched. So I, I really think Brian is magic because he was at the beginning. Now that we're a huge show, thousands of people watch. I think it's because uh, she was there at the beginning. So uh, that is the big adjustment that we are making in terms of doing it to be able to be a part of it. We actually had, and I don't want to like spill the beans too much. We even had today a great conversation with the Department of Education about what would it take to stream this show to every high school in the state when it happens, right? So like, that's the type of thing that as we come back for us to be able to do, that I think it's a way that not only can Arizona Theater Company be the state theater, which we are, but really what's gonna be the most exciting work that's happening in the spring. We all know that, um, as sure everyone read, Broadway is not coming back till May of 21, which probably means September of 21 in terms of doing it, right? So this is a real moment for the regions to be able to say, because everything's local, right? In terms of like, what are the cases in your area? What are the safety precautions for us to be able to do? And I think this will be the musical that I, I believe we'll all be talking about across the country when we get there. Then we pick up with Nina Simone, uh, Four Women by Christina Ham, which we had already been working on some time, which I think is you know, if you know the music of Nina Simone, right, you're sold in terms of coming to see it. Then we have over the summer, we have Women in Jeopardy by Wendy McLeod and How to Make an American Son by Christopher Penna. And then we'll come back in the fall for The Legend of Georgia McBride. And it's almost like the legend of the legend of Georgia McBride because actually a couple people saw it. It was the show that we were doing. We opened and closed on the same night in Tucson. And it's too bad because it already had like a wild reputation it was packed full of people to be able to do. And so we want to make sure we can put it in a place where we can do that. So, and then just to answer everybody's question about what happens next, the next season that we do will probably be some kind of truncated season. Maybe that has three or four shows that eventually gets us back around. That there'll yeah. be a holiday show, which we've already announced is Christmas at Pemberley by Margot Melcon and Lauren Gunderson, then we'll have Crew Pain, and then we'll have other things going on the year. So we already know what we're doing a little bit in advance, but these are the adjustments that we're making to be able to bring this to you. Now, the other thing to know about all of these is that we are setting up a program where we're gonna film every show with a three camera shoot on opening night. So if you are a subscriber, and you decide like, oh, I can't make it that night, or I don't feel comfortable coming to the first two shows, or I don't feel comfortable coming to anything, but I still wanna support you. We will send you a link of the opening night performance that you can watch in your home, right? So it's a way for you to be able to support us and to be able to go forward. And let's be honest just about the finances of what it is, right? We have people that invest in us. We have people that buy their subscription in advance. Right. If all those people came looking for a refund at the same time, it would be disastrous for us or for any arts organization. And so we're so grateful for the people that have let their money ride with us 
And now those people will be rewarded by saying, you know what, it doesn't, it really doesn't matter whether you want to come to us or not in January. If you don't want to come to us, we'll come to you and we'll make sure you can watch. And this isn't a reading. This isn't even a high produced reading. This is a full production that we'll do the shoot of and we'll be able to bring you to your home. I think that says a lot about us and that we're going to meet you where you are. We are very aware that right now there's a lot of uncertainty and a lot of people have some reservations and that is okay. But now you can enjoy theater from the comfort of your own home. Or for those of you that would love to come down, we promise you we are doing everything we can to make sure that precautions are taken to make sure your safety. I'm going to be fully transparent. I am high risk. Um, as we've shared on this show before, I am a previous cancer survivor and I'm an extreme asthmatic. So as much as I am also with you all like, okay, so what's next? Uh, the care and the consideration and the safety plan that has been put forth by our organization, I can assure you, you will feel safe. Right, right. So we've already been approved by the state. Uh, we went through the Arizona Department of, of Health um, and got approval. Um, we will be following CDC guidelines. And of course, when we see, we're gonna be socially distancing. Um, so we're, you know, we're gonna watch how things go and um, you know, seat accordingly, but it will be socially distanced. Um, as Sean mentioned, all, all shows will be recorded, the, the opening, uh, show will be recorded um, and it will be available for ticket holders. So even at the last minute, if you decide that you're not comfortable coming to the theater, you know, maybe not yet, that's okay. We can send you a link to watch it um, at home. Masks will be required. Um, and the improved air filtration is, is in my opinion, critical. Um, the city of Tucson has been uh, very uh, cooperative and really helpful uh, with us in doing that. Um, additional sanitation protocols, you know, there's going to be hand sanitizers everywhere, disinfecting the seats in between shows, plexi dividers. Um, there'll be, uh, we've, we've also taken a look at the actual show season that we have and made some adjustments. For example, you know, Tucson um, really, uh, the matinees are always sold out. So we've added a couple more matinees in Tucson um, and we've adjusted some uh, more evening shows in Phoenix. So we've looked at those schedules and really been thoughtful with that. Um, we, you know, because we have our safety plan, um, we'll have to be approved by all three unions that we work with uh, before we can even sign actors, directors, designers. So um, it's an it's an additional layer, and that's why we say we just might be the safest venue in town, because as a Lort Theater, we have another layer. We we have another responsibility. Um, to our equity actors um, uh, to make sure that everybody is safe. So um, it is really, we are, we are being very thoughtful with this plan. Uh, and it, it, there's, it's, a, it's a heavy lift. It is a lot involved in it, um, but I think it's necessary. We all know it's necessary uh, to get back to live theater. Yeah. So this is really everything, you know, this is what subscribers can can expect you know our box office we actually just talked to the box office today they're great folks and we're going to send out a survey to subscribers um to ask what what do you think the odds of you coming back in in january and those pertinent questions because that will really help us 
um, kind of decide or, or understand our capacity as we move forward. You know, there's so much unknown at the moment, um, but the box office will be calling folks uh, and really determining where's the best, you know, place to seat you. Uh, seating will probably not happen until we get closer to show, um, you know, maybe in even in the new year, uh, because we don't know, this is a, this is, you know, the, the unknown of a pandemic. We don't know where we're gonna be in three months, four months. We, we just don't know, but we're preparing for the worst and hoping for the best. You can buy star packages, subscribers can buy packages um, uh, right now um, to, you know, online uh, and when you talk to the box office. So um, there will be, we're also moving to a lot of uh, paperless, ticketless, touchless, I guess is the word I'm looking for, touchless, no tickets, no, uh, programs will be all digital. Um, we're trying to kind of even minimize you touching a door, quite honestly. No intermissions. Um, there'll be no beverages, especially for the first show. And we'll go from there. But uh, one way in, one way out, doors will be open for you. Uh, we're really trying to be as you know conscientious as possible. So this is really, I mean, this is just a summary of what we just talked about, right? It's, you know, masks required, sanitation, additional matinees. You know, we're excited. You know, we are we are fighting to get back to the stage because we know our subscribers want us there. And that's that's why we exist. That is absolutely why we exist. So your safety is our priority. There's absolutely no doubt. And we're excited. We're energized by it. It's, right. You know what? I, I just had have to add one more thing. You know, this whole pan, this whole time, really since March when we shut down and Sean, you and I sat there and watched Georgia McBride and we looked at each other and went, really, do we have to stop right now? This is, it was such a, a great show uh, and so um, fun, just fun, joy as one of our values, right? Joy, one of our values. And I think it really, um, you know, this, this, these last, you know, six months have been difficult. I mean, I'm not going to lie. They have been difficult and the unknown is difficult for a lot of people to navigate, but we feel like um, knowing that we're going in January, we're going to do our absolute best to make it happen. Um, and it's really kind of energized the staff and motivated the board. The board is so engaged and ready to make this happen. So we're excited. So if anybody has questions about what it is, I mean, we have questions, right? Because we know that we're in the early stage of it. But if you have questions, put it in the chat and we'll be able to get to it. So now I just want to clarify for people that, that don't know, because um, sometimes we talk about theater terms and people don't understand what they are. So each different part of a theater has its own union, right? So the actors have their own union that represents them. The designers have their own union that represents them. Stage directors have our own to be able to do it. And, you know, part of why we're able to stream these things is that it's a really unprecedented agreement amongst all the unions to say, what is it that we can do? And actually they've only agreed to it for one year. Yeah. So, but just because we can do that this year doesn't mean that like, oh, I'm so glad that you're smart and you finally thought of it and I hope you do it forever. It's like, we now have to figure out how to be able to do that, but it's gonna be on a year by year basis to be able to do it. And there is no stricter as well it should be union than the actors and stage managers union, right? So they're the ones that 
Um, if you don't know, right, Utah Shakes was about to try to work through the summer and they couldn't get contracts for their actors. So they had to pull their whole summer season to be able to do it because it's their job. It's the union's job to make sure they're not sending their artists into a place where mm -hmm. it's going to be unsafe. Right. Mm -hmm. So even though we don't have their approval today, we are working with them to be able to do it. We have several months to be able to do it. Milwaukee Rep actually just got their approval to be able to do it. And they're going in December in terms of, of what we are. Yeah. Uh, and so I just think like now we begin that process working with them to be able to do it. So I don't wanna kind of oversell our relationship with the unions. It is still something in progress to have to be able to do, but we have faith that we'll be able to work it out. If not, because we can look and see what Milwaukee Rep did to get approved and now we're still taking the same steps to be able to do it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so if you have a question, go ahead and toss it in the chat and we will answer it as best we can. We did get a couple of comments from Facebook. Um, okay. Nick said, great season. Uh, Laura Evans said she's excited for justice. We got a hello from one of our cohorts, Barbara. So hello, Barbara. Uh, and Carol said that our season looks fantastic. So we're getting great feedback already from Facebook regarding the, the new news. Oh, that's great. I'm glad to hear it. We're excited. I hope everybody will be. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so let's also just talk about what it will mean for the artists, right? Um, so the, the new rules that Equity has put out, just so that we're clear on what it is, artists when they come to town will have two tests before they get on a plane, then they will come here, then they will have to have another test once they arrive and stay wherever they're being housed before, and they have to get a clear before they can come into rehearsal on the first day. So that's why when we're saying it's going to take, you know, some $300,000 to be able to do it, actually testing is the vast majority of where that comes from, right? And people will be tested on a weekly basis. Anyone new coming to the group when designers, if they come into town or even they just come to join us, right? If they're local designers and they come over, everybody has to have had a negative test within, I think it's like 48 hours beforehand before they can come in and join us. So if they fly in, as sometimes our designers do, or they just drive in, they still have to have a test to be able to do it. So it's a tremendous amount of testing to make sure that we keep, you know, everything as, as clean and as closed down as possible. That is by far the biggest uh, nut in that um, budget, without a doubt. And when it comes to seating, you know, the first row, it won't be there, right? It'll be, you know, two or three or even, you know, two or three seats in between, um, probably more like three, I think is what we're planning at the moment. Um, and so, and it'll be every other row. I mean, there's a, there's a lot, there's a lot of detail that's going into how we do this. Um, so I just, everybody be patient with us because we're figuring it out as we go. <laughs> Yeah, sorry, that's my dog. Ah, it's all right. Um, so on our chat, Kevin Johnson asked, said, thanks for these forums. Thoughts on the May 31st Broadway start announced yesterday. So, you know, I think, um, you know, we have a lot of friends that work on Broadway and we have a lot of friends that are Broadway producers. They have a, a real tough thing to be able to do because it's Broadway is a four profit business, right, to be able to do. So they look at the numbers and they say they have to run at 80% capacity to make sense for them to be able to have a show. When are they gonna be able to run at 80% capacity? Probably not until a vaccine is out and in full. Also, if you think about in Broadway seats, 
Like I'm not a big guy and I am crammed in there when I go. So six feet in a Broadway house is, you know, that's like four, five, six seats to be able to do it. And those are tiny, tiny buildings, right? To be able to do it in their older buildings. Um, actually, when we were doing the white chip last year, my daughter, who is also high risk, has really bad asthma and actually had to be hospitalized for while we were there. And they said the best thing that we could do is to get her to Arizona because the air is just so much drier and cleaner here than it is in moldy buildings in New York, which is not anything because of New York's fault, but those buildings are 100, 200 years old. That makes a difference from something that was 30 years old. So I think, in my opinion, what we're about to see, and, and I think we can all say there's no, you know, there's no national strategy for how theater comes back. There's even not a national strategy for like how theater is funded coming back. We're about to see it's all about to be local and it's all it's people are just theaters are going to make decisions based on what is the best for them and where they live. And it's different. We all know there's different numbers of cases in terms of what it is. I, my guess is Broadway will be one of the last to come back in terms of what it is, just because if you're for profit and you run the numbers and you say, I got to be at 80% capacity. I mean, if we're coming back at 25% capacity and we're hoping to be at 80% capacity by 2022, the fall 20, who knows, right? But if we had to wait because we had investors money and we didn't want to spend it on that, we'd probably wait a whole nother year also to be able to do it. So the thing that we have that Broadway doesn't is our community that can really step up and can really support us and be a part of that to be able to do it. So I think that's, that's going to be the big difference going forward. Now, I wouldn't be surprised if someone doesn't try to come back or be able to do it. But I just think as a whole, you know, those four or five blocks of New York, I think it's going to be a while before it's back. And that's a real, that's a real distinct difference, Sean, right? Like it's the, with the community, you know, with the community support, we can come back. I mean, I, I just can't even, I can't even press that enough because that's going to be really the, that's, that's the critic, that's the pivot point, right? That's the, that's what makes the difference between us and like a, a for-profit, a Broadway, right? Is that, you know, the community has to support and really want us to come back in order to do that. So. Yes. And the, and the community has rallied for us before. Yeah. And continue to rally for us and we're grateful because we wouldn't be here the three of us wouldn't be here had we honestly closed our doors a couple years ago and that was a possibility so already you have shown your support to us and we are grateful now we want to continue doing the work and also elevate that so thank you to our subscribers to our donors to our patrons to everyone that is watching this podcast right now even even on the digital side you are allowing us to remain relevant and we're grateful so thank you keep doing what you're doing and yeah. buy tickets <laughs> and donate when you're while you're at it um so joni flat uh who this is a wonderful facebook comment that she asked she wanted to us to remind people how they can contribute online right mm -hmm. so a couple of things you can go to arizonatheater.org and there is a big donate button there if you want to help us to come back. Mm -hmm. Or you can text ATC to 56512. So either way, um, or you, I mean, you can call us, but really the shortest thing you can do, and we've just put that stuff in our call board, you'll see in a little bit as well. So yeah, but ArizonaTheater.org is our website. If you go there, it's really easy to be able to figure out how to support us coming back to live or texting 56512. 
or ATC to 56512. Now we I, want to um, yeah. trust the text that works really well. Super easy. It's very easy, very mm -hmm. people friendly. I know. I realize I've given a lot of money because our development director keeps being like, will you try it out and see if it works? And then I've now realized she didn't need my help in figuring it out. She just wanted to get me to like donate over and over. And it worked because every time I was like, all right, I'll give 10 more dollars. Oh my God. Go for it. So uh, yeah. Good. <laughs> um, well, we have an exciting guest that is with us, but we would love to premiere a video to let you know just a little bit more about her. So if everybody can turn off your cameras. Well, turn off your cameras. The reason I'm a playwright, <laughs> I couldn't help it. <laughs> I had to be. I loved writing and reading and theater since I was really young. A playwright gets to decide who wins, what the moral of the story is, um, you know, who gets to triumph, and who learns a lesson. Um, and I think that's such an incredible power uh, to have. And it's a lot of fun, but it also, it, in a way, lets me have a kind of activism in my work. It's not just the pleasure of doing the art that I love, but being able to, to tell a story that makes a point. This world is full of people who want a good story well told. And if you have that imagination, and if you can um, dream of heroes of all colors and sizes and shapes and genders, then please uh, join our ranks <laughs> and tell those stories. Realizing that, that your story is important and, and it matters and your voice matters is gonna be helpful no matter what career you choose. We have with us Lauren Gunderson, who is the playwright of Justice. So go ahead and join us, Lauren. Hello. Hi. Hello, Hi. everybody. <laughs> Hello. Um, so we just told them that we're doing justice. Uh, yeah, I know, so thrilling. Um, can you can you give them the short version of how we got to making a musical? <laughs> it's very <laughs> short because the process has been very short. That's right. Um, the short version is that Sean always has good ideas, so I usually say yes to whatever he pitches me. Um, we've known each other for a very long time, all the way back in Atlanta, Georgia, where I'm from, and Sean established one of the great theaters there, Dad's Garage. Um, anyway, the short version is Sean uh, texts, <laughs> we usually talk over text, so it was probably, it was probably a text, um, or maybe, maybe an email, anyway, about... Um, you know, your, your opening line was, this is not how plays are made, but, <laughs> and uh, the, but was we have this amazing supportive theater community. They want new plays, even in the middle of this wild crisis. One of the heroes of Arizona is the incredible Sandra Day O'Connor. Lauren, you write about powerful pattern breaking ladies in history. Would you maybe want to write about Sandra Day Connor. And I was like, yes, yes, I do. Of course I do. Um, but then it occurred to me what the, the kind of give and take of the idea was, could we do Sandra Day O'Connor plus um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg as a way of telling not just one story of an amazing woman, but two who are alike in a ton of ways and different in a ton of ways one Christian, one Jewish, one from Texas, you know, raised in Arizona, one from the Bronx and, uh, sorry, from Brooklyn and East Coast and one liberal and conservative and how amazing that they both served as um, sister justices 
uh, in such an iconic and world-changing way, being released as Sean pitched to me, you know, Sandra Day O'Connor was called the, one of the most powerful women in the world when she was on the bench. Um, and I love that Ruth Bader Ginsburg always called Sandra Day O'Connor her sister, her big sister. So from that idea kind of spun out, um, a third character. So first we were writing a two-person play, and then it was a two-person musical. Now it's a three-person musical. It's just keep, let's keep saying yes, keep saying yes to the good ideas. Um, and in some ways, I remember having this conversation with Sean and saying, yes, this is not how plays are made. Plays usually take years to make, and we're aiming for a couple months. But in this new world of what theater is, I am so grateful to be working with this team at Arizona because sometimes plays got to be fast. Why not? Let's, this play is a now play, it's a needed play, it's an urgent play. I think it will also be a timeless play, but it is certainly a now play. So let's see what we can do now and buck the rules and buck the way things are done and, and do it in this new way. So I'm thrilled, I'm thrilled to be dreaming up justice. Literally this morning we had a conversation with this really cool ACLU, ACLU lawyer about RBG and Sandra Day O'Connor and we're just iterating every single day. Um, so yeah, it's going to be great. So, and can you tell them a little bit about who's doing the music? Yes. Okay. So the fabulous Brian Loudermilk, Miss, Miss Brian Loudermilk and the amazing Kate Kerrigan. We have worked together on several musicals now. Um, and they are always some of the first collaborators I think about when you want big heart, surprising music, amazing sound, really smart lyrics. Um, and who are really a part of the team to make the best decisions for the show, even if it's that's not you know in their lane, if it's not music and lyrics, if it's part of a dramaturgical conversation um, with me or director or you know actors, they just know everything. So um, I'm thrilled that they're that they I convinced them sing Sean's similar line, not how musicals are made, but <laughs> <laughs> and it was a quick yes from them. So here we are, and we're you know I'm halfway through the first draft of the book um, and they are coming in with song ideas as we <laughs> as we stream <laughs> and uh, and it's honestly very thrilling to finally get to chat with you a little bit Chanel because you've been in our minds as we're creating this play because Chanel is going to be in it it's so exciting <laughs> so. so for people that don't know so two of the three roles are, are already cast right so Chanel Bragg is playing a character currently named Chanel, which maybe will change <laughs> as time goes on uh, in terms of it. And Veronica Durr, who was our lead in Silent Sky, is going to play Sandra Day O'Connor. It's very exciting. Um, and I've honestly always admired you, Chanel. And um, so it's going to be really fun to write something specifically to highlight your awesomeness. Um, and I have adored Veronica for a long time. She's been in so many of my plays and I just find her such one of the best actors in the country. So I'm thrilled to have her to do this. And it's just, it's like a, oh man, it's great. And I will say, you know, in a confusing time and uncertain time, being able to look very closely at these two iconic women um, who believed in the law and believed in this country and were both a very, their own kind of patriot, but both very much a patriot of this nation and an admirer of the constitution. Um, and to look, to kind of dive in the deep end of their stories, their philosophies, the decisions that they wrote, the dissents, um, it, it's empowering. It's been empowering to write it, to dream it up, to think, um, to come to know them. So it, it is one of my favorite things 
to do in the world to have a, a play that requires this kind of research um, and to come away with some new heroines. <laughs> well, and you know, there's a really interesting thing that's happening right now in how shows are developed because usually shows take years to do it because of schedule, right? Yes. Schedule is the number one thing that stops people from being able to do it. And now like we can all talk on the phone every day to be able to do it because nobody is doing any other shows, you know? I mean, like we literally have, right? Like phone calls each day, we have interviews each day for to be able to do it. So it's like moving along at lightning speed, but it also feels like, and we were working on this right before, yeah. uh, before RBG passed away, right? We, I mean, we were, we, we had this like text chain of like, oh my God, what are we making in this time where it feels like, oh, it's really important to be able to mm -hmm. salute the work that she did and to be a part of it. And I think, you know, what's what's amazing, I find about the two of them, right, is that they're theoretically different, right? Like one was nominated by a Republican, one was nominated by a Democrat. And both of them made their decisions based on what they thought was right for each case. Neither one of them just followed party in terms of what it was. Each of them was like, and in some ways, was disappointing, right, to their party, both of them, when they didn't just do what they were supposed to do, but really thought it through. And I'll tell you, the fact that I find the most shocking, um, which I guess I, I shouldn't. So if you don't know, Sandra Day O'Connor, third in her class at Stanford, had to work for free when she graduated because no one would hire her. And eventually she was able to get some money by like running to get coffee for the men there at the law office that she worked at. And also like, we're not talking about like the twenties or the thirties, right? We're talking about just a little bit ago. And when she was appointed to the Supreme Court, they didn't put a women's bathroom in there until there was a second woman on the Supreme Court, right? as though they were saying like, let's make sure this sticks before we go ahead and bring them in. So we're talking about the eighties, that's the eighties, right? <laughs> so that's, we're, that is not that long ago when we're talking about the, what these women had to go through to be able to have their voice heard. Yeah. And, you know, so I think like that's an important story for us now to realize that was not so long ago that this mm -hmm. was happening. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And so much of what we're realizing the story is about is the reason to look at a first, first woman, the first African-American woman, the first um, African-American president, et cetera, et cetera. The reasons to look at the first is to ask us, well, who's the next first? Who is the first trans justice? Who's going to be, um, you know, th there's so many upcoming firsts that are necessary. Um, and in some ways, when you look at the law, especially the Supreme Court, it is always moving forward. In, and that's kind of what we're, what I'm, what I'm most interested in, you know, what's, what's, what is the legacy of these two women that we don't even know yet um, right. that we'll know. Hopefully soon. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's what's so appealing to me, though. It's like that sisterhood and that embrace of lifting other women up. I tend to really gravitate toward work that shows that, that allows women to be at the forefront of the story and also to be celebrated for that and to be celebrated for their accomplishments as well as how smart they are. Uh, you know, unfortunately, a lot of work doesn't always show that. And that's why there's such a huge emphasis on playwriting today and why we need to keep creating new stories so that way we can change that old theater canon that is so stuck and archaic and a lot of really old, um, unfortunate values, I will say, uh, or lack thereof, I guess I should say, in chauvinism or, you know, 
any any type of musicals or any type of plays that are not showing women advancing forward, you know, that is why plays like Justice are important and relevant today and why they have to happen. So that way then our little girls, I don't have children yet, I want kids, but, or, or, or you know, Vivian can look up to, like my mom played this iconic woman and I can also be that. Like plays like this help foster that. And that's why I'm excited that our education department is going to be blasting this in schools all over Arizona because I think that it's necessary. And being, you know, Native Arizonans, Senator Day O'Connor is so important to us. And so what better, what better piece than that? For sure. And I, I think also to giving little boys heroes too. My, my, oh, both my boys have RBG shirts. Um, <laughs> this is what a feminist looks like shirts. Um, and, and the idea of all, all boys in Arizona having Sandra Day O'Connor as a hero. That's how it should be. It shouldn't be, you know, this is part of what I think we're saying. And, and Chanel, I would echo that because when I was growing up, the plays that I gravitated to that focused women usually focused on like one woman, maybe, maybe two. But the idea of having a story, and I think that's why it was so interesting. There's a version of a Sandra Day O'Connor story as it her and a bunch of guys, because that was her life. And that was the court before RBG got there. And she was always the only woman. But uh, a true story about the what is next and what is needed is a story about women and holding each other up as examples. Um, the friendship, the sisterhood, the um, all of those the those important relationships that 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 allow keep the door open um, for who's coming behind you. I also think it's a such a powerful message that you know they were they were individual thinkers, right? Like they made their decisions. They they didn't they didn't follow. They led, mm-hmm. whether you're man, you know, male, female, whatever, yeah. they, they thought for themselves. And I thought, I think that that is a really powerful uh, message as well, you know, um, because there's, there's, you know, I, I just think, you know, for someone, for people to be independent thinkers and make their own decisions, yeah. uh, regardless of, you know, who they are, or what side they, you know, land on is critically important. And, you know, the way the Supreme Court works, which is so interesting, is the dissents often become the law later. So the idea of putting things in record and RBG was, of course, famous for her dissents. But O'Connor had some amazing ones, too. Mm -hmm. And we look at them and see how prescient they were. And the time wasn't right. And they knew it. But they want to say it loud and proud um, and clearly so that it's almost like they're talking to the future, um, which I, I love. I love that idea. And it keeps me hope for our future, too. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think, you know, so our audience had Silent Sky last year. It was a big hit for us. People loved it. And um, what I'm so excited about is I feel like it so moved people, even though the vast majority of them had never heard of Henrietta Leavitt. You know what I mean? And so and so suddenly they're like, oh, who is this person? Oh, my God, she's so important. Right. So it's like that same you know, I'm sure everybody, we all had to learn, I, you know, I grew up in Mesa Public Schools. We all had to learn about Sandra Day O'Connor, but I don't know that I really knew who she was. You know, I think I knew that she was the first, that she was from here, that like, you know, um, so like my, my great-grandfather was the chief justice of the Arizona Supreme Court. So I knew that like they, like they knew people that knew her or knew her, but like I, um, I don't know that I knew her as a person. Right. And that I think is what I'm so interested in both these stories is that you kind of become the first and you become iconic and you very much lose 
the humanity and the real struggle. And so even when we were talking to this lawyer this morning from the ACLU talking about decisions that each of them made that they regretted or things they said that they felt like they got wrong. And like, that's such a human thing that's not allowed of, you know, of women or of justices or of people in power where it's like, you have to get it right all the time. And one screw up means that, you know, nobody else like you gets to do it again. And so for that to be able to be, and so I'm just really fascinated about like, oh, the people that they were and really what is that struggle for them to be able as humans to be able to go forward? I mean, I can't imagine being third in my class in Stanford and realizing like, great, I guess I'll work for free because I just love law so much. Yeah. To be able to, and because I want to make such a difference. And then, you know, at one point, yeah, Newsweek called her the most powerful woman in the world. Right. So that is that, that is a journey just on her own right there. Yeah. Yeah. And, you know, looking at the exact same thing happened to Ruth Bader Ginsburg. So it's this, again, this amazing thing of what, what unites us is actually more broad than what differentiates us. And yes, they they weren't always on the same side of the decisions. Um, and our play kind of goes through several key decisions, I think five key decisions um, from the first ones uh, when Ruth is on the Supreme Court. So that's kind of when the play starts is her first day, um, which is so funny to think about going to work, first day at work and you're a justice. Like, yeah. It's so crazy, <laughs> but like, yeah, you gotta like get the tour. You gotta like know where the cafeteria is. <laughs> sexual harassment training. Right, you gotta like, it's a time, do we do time cards? What do we do here? What's how, what's the situation? <laughs> so the kind of, and, but you know, and Sandra comes in and is like, here's like, let, let me give you the down low. <laughs> here's how things actually work. I know it's a lot. Um, but you know, the, the idea of looking at some of these major cases and where they agreed and where just like s- seemingly simple acts of generosity. And it was usually the generosity of seeing. There was a, a, a very famous moment where um, there was the, the case of um, VMI, the Virginia Military Institute, which is in one of our, um, the early part of the show. It was one of the early cases for um, Sandra Day O'Connor. And she was the, the, the Supreme, the, the Chief Justice gave her um, the responsibility of writing the majority opinion. And basically the opinion was about a sexual um, uh, bias in this all-male institute. So, of course, Ruth Bader Ginsburg has spent her whole life fighting against sexual bias and against gender, I mean, uh, for gender equality in case after case after case after case. And the chief justice gets to decide who writes the opinions. And it's kind of like, it's an honor, right? But Ruth was pretty new, but this was so in her lane. And it's like, literally, she'd worked her whole life to get to write the, an opinion like this. And they gave it to Sandra. And Sandra says, and they never do. You, if you get the job, the opinion, you write the opinion. And of what does Sandra do? Of course, she says, give it to Ruth. This is, this is hers. And it was this amazing Ironic. thing that the, the men didn't do that. There were a couple of cases before this, which they should absolutely have given to Ruth to do. But like, no, they didn't do that. But of course, she goes, I know, I, obviously, obviously, Ruth should do this. Like, why are we even talking about this? You know what I mean? So it's stuff like that where you see how simple, unfussy acts of generosity and understanding and really seeing a person for who they are, it goes a long way. And it's just so human and decent and really recognizes someone's, the dignity of, of what they're about. Um, so I, stuff like that, that I feel like, man, what a lady, just amazing. Um, so it's stuff like that, that our show will have all of these really beautiful human moments um, and one later in the show that's really interesting is they both uh, had struggles with cancer. Um, Ruth Bader Ginsburg, of course, had several bouts of, of d- different kinds of cancer um, early on in her career. And Sandra Day O'Connor had breast cancer. 
and was on the bench and like going through chemo and didn't tell anybody until years later um, that she even had a mastectomy. And to do that and to like be that resilient and survive. And of course, she, she, the advice she gives Ruth, which this is a, a scene in the play is she says, you know, OK, here's the deal. She was such a like tough it out kind of person. She was like, don't complain, tough it out, do your job. Ma. You know, and so Ruth is literally in the hospital recovering and, you know, well, I'm going to have to have chemo. And Sandra's like, well, here's the deal. Get your chemo on Friday because you can recover on the weekend, be back to work on Monday. <laughs> that was her advice. <laughs> Love it. She's just like, do it. And Ruth's like, of course, obviously, that's what we do. We got work to do, um, which I, I, I just think it's, it's, it's so wonderful. And it exposes so much about their resilience and their empathy and all the things we like to explore in the theater. So yeah. Work. Uh, I'm so thrilling. So like such an exciting time for us, right? Like we're figuring out how to come back and we're figuring out how to come back with work that we feel like is right in the sweet spot of what does it mean to be a regional theater, right? Like that's, that's what the next year or two is going to be about, right? It's a little less about what's New York doing, what's happening elsewhere. And it's like, what is happening in our region? What is happening locally to be able to do it? Um, So we do always ask guests to bring a word on the show. Did you see this, Lauren? I did. I have to think of one real quick because I was busy making dinner for my children. That's all right. (laughs) I'm trying for the word not to be spaghetti, but um, (laughs) be able to do it. Chanel or Jerry, do you have a word in our moment while Lauren is coming up with one? I do. I, um, my word is energized because I think there's a, there's a lot to be um, energized about and, and excited about cautiously optimistic about, but energized is my word. I think mine is innovation. Yeah. I feel like this time allows us to step literally outside of our normal circumstances or outside of the proverbial box and really reinvent what this looks like for us now. Like we're in charge of our destiny. I think more than ever than we were before because we've had the time to sit and think about where we want to go, make a plan and then get there. Mm -hmm. So innovation and how we do it is the word for me. You know, I don't, I don't, this isn't like a very Sean word, but I think my word in terms of thinking about this right now is sacred. Like, I really feel like when we were in the space the other day, like, and and I think about what is it going to be like to return to being inside a theater and how much we will appreciate that and what, what a sacred space that first rehearsal will be. And that room where we get together and what it will be like in the theater. And, you know, so we're, we, um, so Benjamin Scheuer filmed this concert for us, right, that we are going to put out next week. And it's one of the first concerts in London, you know, and I have to tell you, it's so moving to watch the camera pan the audience. And you're like, oh my God, there's people there. They're sitting in a room together. They're listening to him play. And, and they're, you know, they're socially distanced. It's only like 23 people. They're wearing masks there, you know? And it's just like, I just think one of the gifts will be like maybe how for granted we took the, yeah. the ability to gather with each other and have our hearts beat at the same time and to be able to do it. And really, what will that feel like? And especially for a musical, right? The lights go down in the first moment of the music plays. And what is that? That's going to be a, a really sacred moment for all of us. We're all going to cry just because to have that again, you know, to be able to do it. So that that's what I'm looking for. You're right, Sean. When we were in the theater um, earlier this week, it was really, I got goosebumps because I was like, man, I miss this. That's right. That's right. Yeah. 
I'll say my word is one I just used to describe these justices, but one I feel like about our whole industry and about this project in and of itself, which is that of resilience. It's examining the resilience of theater, of storytelling, mm-hmm. um, of story. We, we need stories of heroes that don't have it easy because we're not going to have it easy. And I, I always describe stories, but particularly theater, as thought experiments. They are something where an audience gets to see what would I do in this situation? What happens if you are put through these trials, if you are up against this force? Um, How do you survive? How are you resilient? How do you make it through? So that I can make it through when something even resembling this happens to me, when I'm hit with this trial, when I'm hit with this crisis. And we are hit with so many (laughs) crises these days. Um, So I, I like a show that examines that resilience in these incredible women. And I feel like our arts arts industry um, will absolutely be resilient. And I think we can't assume that everyone will be, it will be easy for everyone and we need to look out for everybody. But my goodness, we're gonna need those first chords of music in the, a darkening theater. We're gonna need those monologues that cut right to the quick of why, why we keep fighting um, and who we are and how we love each other. Um, that that's never going to go away, but, but it is the thing that I'm most excited to fight for and to bring back. Um, so keep that word. And how can we be resilient when it's easy for us, when it's hard for others, when the tables are turned, um, so we're all going to need each other and we're all going to need stories. Oh, what a perfect way for us to end this episode right here. Thanks Lauren, for thank me, you y'all. so much for coming on. Thank you so much for, for being a part of it. Um, so next week we have a, a special interview with Benjamin Troyer, who, um, so, so, uh, just, we're doing it a little different next week. We recorded this earlier. Normally when you do a musical, we, uh, you know, you hear about all the songs and how they were put together. So next week we're talking about the lion, which is a show we did together, but next week we're going to play on the show, all the songs that were cut from the show all the songs that never made it, all the songs that weren't good enough or repeated, or just so you know, all the work that goes into a show that you never see to be able to be on it. Cause I think it's fascinating people to realize like, oh, there used to be four songs that became this one song. So for one special episode, we're gonna talk and he's gonna play all the songs that are not in the show, even though they're from the show for us to be able to do it. Um, great. Uh, I just want to remind everybody, if you want to donate to support the work that we're doing, you can go to the website, arizonatheater.org. You can text ATC to 56512. And also we have the number that you can call if you want to call, which is 520-463-7669. And that's all in the chat for you to be able to do. Uh, I want to thank everybody that's on here with us. And we're going to go ahead and throw it to the call board. See, oh, you have one more? Just one exciting announcement. So I want to make sure that oh. I so um, we have had a wonderful partnership with the Maricopa Community Colleges, and we are working with um, MCC specifically, so Mesa Community Colleges. They will be launching the first of our partnership with ATC in a um, project that we're calling the Coronalogs. Now, what they're going to do is we're going to take headlines from what is going on today, and the students will kind of examine like how they feel about it or what stories influence them. They're going to write and cultivate stories, and then that will be performed in a sharing. We have our own ATC staff that will be lending support in terms of giving lectures. So this is a one-credit-hour class. Enrollment for that class, though, is up by October 12th. So if you're interested, please 
please go sign on to uh, Mesa Community College's website and make sure you get on to THP 102 with Kevin Dressler to be a part of the Corona Logs Project partnered with ATC. Excellent. Oh my God, so many good stuff. And now we're going to throw it to the call board <laughs> so you can see what else is coming up. Excellent. Thank you, everybody. See you next week. Please turn off the cameras. Hi, I'm Will Rogers, Community Engagement Manager at Arizona Theater Company, and welcome to this week's call board. Now, you may notice a new look on the call board. We owe a very, very special thank you to our graphic designer, Richard Giuliani, for creating this great new look for us. But the uh, changes are not merely cosmetic. We are going to be launching a few new beats on this week's call board. Last week, China Young brought us the new The Ghost Light beat, and uh, she'll be bringing that back to us a little later in this call board. But first, we're gonna pop on over to the new giving corner and see what Paula has for us. Paula, take it away. I'm Paula Taylor. I'm the Chief Development Officer here at Arizona Theatre Company. And welcome to our newest segment, The Giving Corner. It's here where we get to highlight what's happening in development, or a better word for that, fundraising at Arizona Theatre Company. And it's also the place where we get to thank those in the community who have supported us. Today, I'd like to highlight Cox Charities of Tucson and Cox Charities of Phoenix for awarding our ATC teen programs in both cities a grant. It's really encouraging to see that their employees realize how important the performing arts is to young people's development, to their communication skills, their analytical skills, and their leadership skills. So thank you, Cox Charities of Tucson and Phoenix, and we'll see you all at the theater. Thank you so much, Paula, for everything that you do um, and everything that your team does. You are a mighty group of warriors, and we would not be here if it weren't for you. Speaking of your mighty group of warriors, you uh, in the development department have secured a new way for folks at home to give to us if they're so inclined. Um, and that is by text message. You can now text to give. If you'd like to do so, text ATC to 56512 and give a little, give a lot. Whatever you can give is appreciated. Help us keep our doors open. Help us keep theater coming back to stages of Arizona and help us keep our staff around um, and bringing you more hang and focus, more um, uh, digital content for the time being and live content in very short order. Now let's head on over to the education station. Hello, everyone. We have so much going on for our schools and our students. And if you are not involved yet, I can't wait to bring you into the fold. For schools and teachers watching this from anywhere in the state of Arizona, I want to bring live theater to your classroom virtually. We are looking to connect to classrooms in all 15 counties with workshops, guest speakers, live virtual performances, and more. Please email us at education at arizonatheater.org to request a virtual visit to your class or visit the school programming page of our website for more details on the different workshops that we are offering. For students ages 13 to 19, it is not too late to register for ATC Teen. In our online portal, you can register for the program and choose between a menu of classes and projects. Coming up in October, we have auditions and rehearsals beginning for our hashtag enough plays to end gun violence project. We are also looking for student designers to work on the play, which will be streamed over Broadway On Demand in December. Students can also sign up for classes, including our Leadership in Theater, Play Readers Book Club, Improv 101, or audition for our Improv Troupe. 
for our full calendar of events and to sign up for each project, visit the ATC team page of our website. Jasmine, you know we love those classes. We love our ATC teens and we love everything that you guys are doing. And it's so exciting that we're gonna be branching out to the rest of the state. Thank you so much, uh, Jasmine. And now as promised, China Young is back with the ghost light beat. Let's find out what's happening in theaters uh, up and down and all around Arizona. Welcome back to the ghost light. We are inside our cabaret theater this week here at the Temple of Music and Art in Tucson to remind you that this is your final weekend to catch Consolation with Winding Road Theater Ensemble, as well as the Old Ball Game, a drive-in radio show with live theater workshop. Coming up, we have Borderlands Theater's Monthly Lunada New Moon Virtual Literary Lounge on October 16th at 6 p.m. Facebook Live. And then of course, there are Unscrewed Theater's weekly Saturday improv shows. Our friends in Phoenix just held the Arizona Awards and a couple of our ATC staffers were honored there. So we'd like to give some shout outs to Stray Cat Theater run by our very own Ron May. They were nominated for 12 awards and won four, including actor in a supporting role, Lewis Farber in Small Mouth Sounds. Lewis was also featured in our 24 hour plays, if you remember that earlier this summer. And the prestigious Kyle Lawson Outstanding Contribution Award went to United Colors of Arizona, which was established by Jacqueline Castillo and our very own Associate Artistic Director, Chanel Bragg. Congratulations to all of the Arizona nominees and winners. Check back in next week to see how Arizona is keeping the arts alive. Whew, that was a lot, but you met some new people, you, uh, you learned some new things, and you learned some of our new beats and some of the new features that we're going to be bringing you every week. So thank you for being with us today. Uh, have a great weekend. Please, please, please do not forget to vote and sing. <laughs>